We appreciate you guys. I know I can speak on behalf of my wife and our children. Um, we love you guys. We love the Brooke family, and um, we're just so thankful for each of you. Um, I do want to give a, a, a shout-out to Jeremy, who's not here today. Um, I'm tempted to say uh, you can pass his gift to me, and I'll make sure he gets it. But um, he's, he's been a great brother serving alongside of us since day one, uh, before there was a day one, actually. And um, you guys don't see a lot of what Jeremy does behind the scenes, but, um, but he is pivotal to what God is doing here at the Brook. And I think most, most of you guys know that, but uh, sometimes it's easy to not be able to say it, you know. And so uh, I wish he was here because I'd tell him, but, uh, but do, do know that, man, he, he serves faithfully. He carries the burden for each one of you. He loves you genuinely, just like Erica and I do and our families do. Um, and you know what's pretty cool is that I know that we're not the only ones who feel that way about one another. Uh, we've been able to walk with many of you and see how you guys love hard, love well. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm just so blessed to pastor here to the brook. And, man, we're praying for many, many, many years of, of just God causing fruit to be born out in our community. Um, we're believing him for that. The psalmist says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. We've got one job each week. And that's to lift up and magnify the name of Jesus. I'm thankful to the brothers and sisters who invest their lives to do that. I also want to just, just thank God for uh, Lizzie Escarpeta, who leads the Brook Kids, for Lazaric and Lynette, who are leading the Brook Youth, um, for our hospitality team, our welcome team, um, those who help out with facilities. And we just praise God for you, our worship team. We go on and on. Um, if you're not serving in any way, we just invite you to do it. Because in serving, there is so much joy. Uh, there is such a uh, blessing in doing so. And we want to invite you into that. And it's part of the way in which you and I get to magnify the Lord together. And uh, that is a great, great gift we've got. I want to pray and, uh, and open God's word together. So would you bow with me, please? Father, I praise your name. And we do thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ, who's given us a very clear mission. In Matthew 28, as he looked at his disciples, he said, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded you. And then Jesus gives us this promise. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. So, God, we want to be just faithful to that task. Lord, thank you for your spirit that fills all who know your son, Jesus, empowering us for this mission. God, I lift up uh, the men and women, the youth in this room who maybe don't know Jesus yet, maybe heard about him but have not uh, have a personal relationship with him. God, I pray that you would do a work even today to lead them towards that place where they would uh, surrender their lives, raise up their white flag and say, God, I belong to you. Forgive me. Give me new life. Lord, we lift up the churches in our neighborhood. God, we ask that they too would be about this gospel work. God, we pray for Belmont Assembly of God, for New Life Community, for City Lights, for Bethany Baptist Church, and so many other churches, God. Bless them, bless their work. And God, may we together lock arms and uh, really be focused, God, upon, upon you. Lord, we pray for Wednesday, God. I pray that it would be a great way to love our neighbors through Halloween. God, I pray that we would see this as a beautiful opportunity to become 
to come face to face with people on our block, to welcome them with a nice smile, and to offer them hope. And so, Lord, I pray you'd open doors, open opportunities for the gospel, God, so that people would come to know Jesus. And so now, Lord, I pray your spirit would speak through me, give me boldness and wisdom and courage as I preach. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for the past uh, 10 weeks or so, I have been uh, in a series that we've titled AKA, also known as, and this is because we were looking at the different names that God has revealed to us about himself. And today we wrap up the series, and it's been a fun one for me, and you guys are all sad about this, aren't you? Um, It's been really fun. What's amazing is I've only scratched the surface on the names of God. We could talk for probably another 12 to 15 weeks about different names that God has given himself. And this is what I want us to know. Uh, The Old Testament of the Bible was written in Hebrew, and the name that God has revealed himself to his children is is as Yahweh, or sometimes translated, uh, translated Jehovah. And with his covenant name, Yahweh, or Jehovah, He adds other words at different times to reveal other aspects of who he is. We've seen that these names of God say something about his attributes, but also speak to our circumstances. And I just love how God is so personal like this. When we feel alone, he reminds us that he's Yahweh, the I am, the God who's ever present. When we feel like we need shelter in a storm, we're reminded that he is Jehovah Nisi, which says, the Lord is my banner. He is the one who fights your battles. When you feel outnumbered by adversity, you take comfort in the name Jehovah Tsebaot, which means the Lord of hosts, all the angelic armies and all his power is at his fingertips. He steps in our place. When we feel like justice has fled to the mountains, we flee to God who is our refuge in times of trouble. He is the righteous one, the God of justice, Jehovah Tzidkenu. When you feel like you're spent, he does provide, Jehovah Jireh. When you are weak and weary, he does bring healing because he is Jehovah Rapha. When you wonder if God's turned his back on you, God reminds you, I am El Olam, the everlasting God. I don't faint. I don't grow weary. I don't turn from my children. Maybe you wonder, what if I've turned from you, God? Am I hidden from your sight? We learn that he is El Roy, the God who sees even in our affliction. Somebody once says, no matter what you're going through, God's got a name for it. I like that. And today as we wrap up, we talk about one more name of God, El Kana. The word El means God, Kana means jealous. God has revealed himself to us as the jealous God. The jealous God. Does this mean that he is some insecure cosmic being who is controlling a self-centered family? What do we mean by the fact that God is jealous? Because when we think of jealousy, a lot of times we think of haters. Is God a hater? Is God like, you know what, man, I, I, want, I want all of you. Is he a hater for this? Well, what I want to talk about today is why God is justified in his jealousy. Why God is justified in his jealousy. And like we've seen in all these stories, God reveals his name through a circumstance. And we're going to see why today he says, behold, I am a jealous God. 
And from there, we're going to realize that his jealousy is intertwined with his desire for his name to be honored and for his people's devotion. He wants our worship. And then we're going to see why that's so hard for us and then what genuine worship looks like. God is justified in his jealousy because he is worthy in his worship. He is justified in his jealousy because he's worthy of worship. And in order to see Elkanah, would you meet me in the book of Exodus chapter 34? Exodus chapter 34. The book of Exodus is the second book of the Bible. It's the second book. So you got Genesis and then Exodus, and it come to chapter 34. The book of Exodus is just is about what, it, what it's titled as. It's about an exit. God's people exiting Egypt and going into the wilderness on their way to a promised land. We've seen that God redeems his people out of Egypt with his powerful arm. We see he parts a Red Sea for them. He feeds them in the wilderness. God takes care of his people. He is so good to them. But we also see there's a lot of hiccups along the way. Because like you and I, God's people became very stiff-necked at different times. Stubborn or hard-hearted. In fact, there's a story in the Bible in Exodus chapter 20 where God tells Moses, the leader of Israel, as they're wandering in the wilderness, he tells them, come up on this mountain named Horeb or sometimes named Sinai. And God says, when you come on this mountain, I'm going to give you some commandments. And there are 10 of them. What we forget is that Moses is up on this mountain for 40 days. Exodus chapter 20 through 32 is Moses on the mountain talking with God. That must have been pretty dope, by the way. Well, the problem is the people, the million or so people of Israel down below, not on the mountain, became very restless, having a hard time waiting on God. Anybody been there before? They decided to take things into their own hands, and they go to Moses' brother named Aaron, and they're like, hey, Aaron, your brother's taking too long. What should we do here? Uh, We need something to worship. We need something to do. We need to figure out what's going on. Where is this God who got us out of Egypt right now? Moses is gone. Where is the God? And, And basically what they did, they decided to say, all right, let's pull our gold together. Let's melt our gold and fashion for ourselves a golden calf. And so Aaron does this, and then in Exodus chapter 32, verse 4, he says, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Crazy. So quickly, God's people had begun to go after foreign gods. Well, while Moses is up on the mountain, he's on his way down. He's got his two tablets. He's got his boy Joshua with him. And Joshua's like, hey, I hear a lot of shouting coming from the camp. Maybe there is war. And they listen closer. And Moses is like, it's not war. The people are celebrating. In fact, the scripture says that the people sat down to eat and drink and then rose up to play. They followed their lusts, their passionate revelry. And not only did they forsake God with their lips, but they also began to forsake him with their actions. Moses comes down from the mountain. He throws these tablets that God himself wrote on, breaks them, and he's like, what are you doing? I mean, are are you kidding me? He sees these calves and like, what are those, right? He's like, what is going on? God says, I'm done with my people. And Moses is like, Lord, you can't be done with us. What are all the other nations going to say about you, God? 
And Moses was like, but God, if you don't go up out of here without us, or if you don't come with us, I don't want to go either. God, God, I just, I, we can't do it. Then we come to Exodus 34, where God hears the pleas of Moses. And then God tells him this in Exodus chapter 34, verse 10 and following. And God said, behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. This is good news, family. Basically, God's like, man, you really messed up, Israel. But I'm not done. I'm not done. Maybe someone needs to hear that today. You may have messed up, but God's not done. God says, I'm making a covenant. It's not a new one. It's a renewing of the old one. He says, before all your people, I will do marvels such as have not been done for the created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Verse 11, observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, Perizzites, Hittites, and Jebusites. Take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their asherim. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is what? Jealous is a what? Jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. You shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. This is God's word for us today. At least six different times, God calls himself a jealous God. And each of those times, it revolves around worship. God is a jealous God because he wants our worship and he wants his name to be honored. What we see here is God says, I'm going to make a covenant with my people. See, a covenant is a promise. It's like a treaty. It's a, it's a binding contract. And he's saying, if you want to be linked with me, you've got to abide by this covenant. And then God gives him some stipulations. He says, first of all, he says, I will do marvels. Watch what I do. I'm going to do marvels in your sight, and I'm going to drive out these Hittites, Jebusites, Hivites, and all these other ites. I'm going to drive them all out. I want you to watch. And then he says in verse 12, take care lest you make a covenant with them, lest they become a snare for you. And he tells them in the following verse to tear down these altars. See, what God is saying here is, he's like, look, I'm going to follow my promise, bring you into this promised land. But when you get in there and you watch all that I'm doing, you need to let your watching turn into doing. And in your watching, you see my hand, and in your doing, you follow in obedience. And in obedience, you tear down those things that compromise your worship of me. This is what God is telling him. He said, I'm going to do marvels in your sight. And this is the same word he used when he did the marvels, getting them out of Egypt. And you think about it, what, what kind of things did God do when he brought them into promised land? If we, if we had time, we could look at the book of Joshua and so, see how God took a slave nation that wandered in the wilderness for 40 years 
to conquer fortified cities without lifting up a sword. How this slave nation ended up taking on an entire region, though they fought against those who were trained warriors. It was evidence of the fact that God is a God who brought them in that place. And God's like, when you see me do this, be sure not to go after the gods of the lands, but instead eradicate the land of these fake gods. But then he says this, and this language may have caught your attention. He says in verse 15, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and when they whore after their gods. That's some pretty blunt language. Three times he uses the word whore in this passage. You may have caught that, didn't you? You're like, yeah, I caught that. You're going to tell me what that means? See, see this, is, this, is what, this is what God's talking about. God views his relationship with his people as a covenant relationship. And to go outside of your worship to God is like committing spiritual adultery. This is what God is saying. And he's saying, if you're going to do this, if you're going to turn, this is what you're doing. You are turning away from me, the devotion you're supposed to have to me. So he says, don't give your daughters to their sons and don't give your sons to their daughters. This is not about interracial marriage as some have twisted in years past. What, what, What Moses is saying here, what God is making clear is that the people of the land worshiped a different gods. And what you believe will affect your worldview. And when you put the two together, someone's going to compromise, if not both. And he's saying, my people should not be united with the people of this land, because when they do, they will forsake me. They will forsake me. God wants them to stay away from it, because he is a jealous God. Now, I mentioned there's two aspects of his jealousy here. He says he's, he's jealous on the one hand for the honor of his name, and he's jealous on the other hand for our worship. Now, I want to talk about this first one, for the honor of his name, because I think sometimes we overlook this. See, God's attributes existed before you and I did. God is always what he is. He doesn't change. He doesn't grow. He doesn't improve. And so he always is a God who maintains his own honor. And this is why he's so grieved when we, or anybody for that matter, brings offense to his name. He is a God who is jealous for his honor. And we understand this relationally, don't we? That's why scripture says, children, honor your father and mother. And if if you're a parent, you understand why you want your child to honor you. You don't want your child to call you by your first name because it's dishonorable. And my son said, hey, Eric, how was yesterday for you? I'd be like, that's not working here. That might work for Bart and Homer, but that's not working for us because you honor mommy and poppy, right? We understand honoring other people. In fact, 1 Peter 2.7 says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. Honor everyone. I love the fact that our Brook youth are going to be talking in depth about honor. Honoring everyone. Honoring yourself, but honoring other people. But get this. Honoring everyone means even people who might be dishonorable. You see, honor is something we show 
because we recognize people are made in the image of God. We may not agree with them. We might not even like what they're about, but we're going to respect people. I think it's a great practice, Brooke family, by the way. If our Brooke kids refer to adults as Mr. and Mrs., I think it's a great thing. I, I get a little tweaked when kids call me, hey, Eric. I'm like, First, I'm a lot older than you. I'm your pastor. And, 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 you know, show me a little more respect here. I think it's a great practice, Mr. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so. That's just a way of honoring. We call police officers officer because we honor them. We call judges your honor. So we understand honor on a very horizontal plane, don't we? Peter goes on to say, honor the emperor, which in his day was likely Emperor Nero, who was one of the greatest persecutors of Christians. And Peter's like, you don't have to agree with him. You don't have to like what he's doing. I don't like what he's doing, but he's still the emperor. You don't go along with what he's doing if it's sinful, but we honor Now, if we understand honor on a horizontal plane, even among broken people, how much more are we to honor the name of our God who is not broken, who is perfect, who is holy, who is good, who is Nisi, Jairud, Sebaot, and on and on and on. You with me here, family? See, God is worthy of honor, and he's jealous for that honor, which why he is a that his people would have the nerve to craft a golden calf by their own hands and worship it. Someone once said that God made man in his own image and that man returned the favor. We often make God in our own image, into our own likings, into what we want him to be. And God is offended that his people Israel would have the nerve to worship something other than him, to see something else other than him as their God. So he is, uh, he is jealous for his honor, but he's also jealous for our, our devotion. He's jealous for our worship. See, God is not, as I mentioned earlier, uh, some sort of cosmic being who is insecure. God wants our worship because he understands that he is everything we need. And it grieves him when we go anywhere else. God wants your and my devotion. But there is a real battle against idolatry. There was a real battle for people of God then, and there's a real battle for us today. See, back then, the problem was this. Everybody was doing it. Everyone had golden calves. Everyone had idols in their living rooms. It, it, was, it was what people did. And then when they threw these big feasts for their gods, they were quite the celebrations. It was that high-end dinner party you get invited to. It was that kind of thing where it was hard to say no to because all the who's who's would be there. Idolatry was also hard because it, appears to, it appealed to the flesh. We're selfish people. It's at the core of our being. And idolatry says, yes, it is about you. You, whatever your needs are, that's what you pursue. Not much different than our idea of karma in our own days. A lot of times we, we understand a karma to be, you do something bad, it'll come back to get you. So you don't want to do anything bad because you want them to come back to get you. But at the end of the day, whether you do good or bad, who's it about? You. 
See, there's a selfishness about these foreign worldviews that push us away from God. Idolatry was easy in their day. It was normalized, and it was indulgent. There wasn't very many high moral values. So the people of God battled idolatry throughout much of their existence. You see, but today we sometimes can look, and we've talked about this many times, but it bears repeating. We can think about the fact that we don't have golden calves in living rooms and things like that, and we think we're not falling prey to idolatrous mindsets, but we're just totally off, and that's part of the deception. See, the scripture reading that was read earlier came from 2 Corinthians 4. It says this, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. You see, one of the tactics of the enemy of your soul is to blind you from the genuine worship God wants and to give you other things in your foreground, in your, in your vision. And when you fall prey to those things, it is idolatry. Idolatry is a life unchecked, allured by seduction. Self is the bait on the mousetrap. And when we go after self, we will be snared. You see, the truth is, what makes this so difficult is that you and I have been raised, in most parts in our world, by contradictory worldviews from what God is. We've been raised by thinkings and, and people. Uh, we're, we're joking in our, in our men's group, Um, that we had about a month ago, we're talking about different influences in our lives, and all of us were like, yeah, there's always that one uncle who's the bad influence. Someone's always like, I got an uncle who, and it just, it's part of the story. So whether it's an uncle, whether it's hip-hop, whether it's a celebrity, whether, whether it's other kinds of websites, we've been informed by things. And these worldviews have been used by the enemy who has veiled our vision from true worship of God. Some of us in this room today remain veiled. You're veiled. You don't see God in his glory. You don't see the radiance of Jesus. And I pray that God would lift that veil from you. For a lot of us, what we need to do is we need to untangle the mess in our minds. You ever look behind your TV? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You have my problem. There are dozens of wires. And you're like, how did this happen? And you know that there's wires for the TV, for the cable, for the Wi-Fi, for the, for the video game system, for the router, uh, for the speakers. And you can go on and on. There's countless wires. And if you ever need to take your DVD player out, let's say it breaks, you need to get a new one, and you want to take it out, you got to look back there and be like, okay, I got I to trace this thing. All right? You start at the power source, and then you trace it down to its, to, to its origin. You see, but when you trace it to its origin, then you've, where you can find out where to unplug it from. Because that thing is sucking power. It's getting power from the power source. See, what happens for us, we become so informed by the world, and it influences our life. It has power in our lives. But in order for us to uproot these lies, idolatrous ways of thinking, we've got to find them and trace them to their source and uproot them. So think about in your life, what are the things that cause you to drift away from God? What are the influences in your life? 
What is it that the enemy has used to veil you from the glory and radiance of Jesus? A few weeks ago, I was talking with a man on my block. I was sharing, trying to share with him, having a gospel opportunity. They want to create a, an on-ramp to tell him about Jesus. And as we're talking, he mentioned he had studied Islam and Christianity. He said, yeah, and they're, they're all pretty much the same thing. And I'm thinking, like, then you have not studied Islam and Christianity. But he's been veiled. Yesterday morning, the doorbell rang. And there were three, two ladies and a young son on my porch holding a New World Translation of the Bible and a Watchtower publication in their hand. Try to share with them the good news of Jesus, and it was like, you know, chasing the wind. Veiled. Veiled. There's so many cults and religions that have been veiled from seeing the beauty of Jesus. And it ought to be an alarm to us because we could be veiled sometimes. And sometimes it's non-religious ways of thinking. Maybe it's just living for comfort or prosperity or popularity. Maybe it's just seeking good vibes. Seems so helpless. But that's not hope. See, these things promise satisfaction. But what Paul has told us in 2 Corinthians 4 and what God reveals to us in Exodus 34 is that the enemy veils us and keeps us from seeing Jesus. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, you remain veiled. And I pray that you would come to see that all the things in this world that you've been chasing after will never satisfy the longings in your heart. They are a square peg for the round hole that God can only fit. And for those of us who put our faith in Jesus and you see yourself drifting, go to the source and say, where is this coming from? What's going on? Where did I get off track here? What's sucking the life out of me? What is pulling me away from worship? At that point, we can understand what true worship is about. See, idolatry is not just something in the past. But it's something we battle every day. Anything that takes your affections away from God is a temptation toward idolatry. But God wants all, not some, of your devotion. He doesn't want to be at the peripheral of your thinking. He doesn't want to be at the sideline of your activity. God wants to be up close and personal in your life. He wants to be all up in your business. God wants to influence your thoughts, influence your steps. Because he knows that apart from his hand, if you get untethered from God, you are walking in the pathway of perdition. You're knocking at the door of destruction. You're having a conversation with calamity. And you're ultimately flirting with folly. So when God says he's a jealous God, it's not that he's an insecure cosmic being who's self-centered in the ways we understand these. It's because he's a God who is worthy of worship and that justifies his jealousy. His name is to be honored and he is to be the focal point of our devotion. Church family, I hope and pray God reveals to each of us where our worship is. You see, 
Jesus tells us what worship ought to be like. This, this is what genuine worship looks like. It is truth-seeking, I'm sorry, it's truth-treasuring, voice-lifting, and life-giving. This is genuine worship. It is truth-treasuring, voice-lifting, and life-giving. Jesus tells a woman at the well in John 4, my followers will worship me in spirit and in truth. Not spirit and in body, we might think that, but spirit and in truth. It is in spirit because it is something that comes from within and it can be done anywhere. You can worship God wherever you are. You don't have to wait till Sunday morning to worship God, nor should you. You see, for a lot of us, and I thank God for this, we, we've kinda, we're in autopilot where Sunday mornings is part of our rhythm, and that's a good thing, but it should not be the only thing. It is an incomplete thing in your worship. Spirit and in truth, because truth then informs us. This is why we're unpacking the names of God. I want you to know that he is Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord our righteousness, or the Lord of hosts, or the Lord our provider, or the Lord our banner, because that's truth. And when you know truth, you can worship God for who he is. That's genuine worship. That's uprooting these false ideas of God and going to the real truth of who he is. So family, I pray that you and I would treasure his truth. We've got to be in the word to do that. We we, we can't let days go by without reading our Bibles. You can't let weeks go by without, without getting in the word. You just can't. You're walking into the battle unarmed. You're stepping on a battlefield without a sword. And you're leaving the door open for temptation, for letting your vision becoming veiled and straying away. And God is jealous. He doesn't want that for you. So just don't let time go. Treasure treasure the truth. Get in the word. Start somewhere, a verse a day, a paragraph a day. Family, a lot is at stake here. The Lord, our God, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So treasure his truths. But genuine worship is also voice lifting. I love how Hebrews says it in Hebrews 13, 15. It says, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. God wants us to sing to him. God wants us to lift up our voice to declare his worth because he's worthy of it. This is why we say, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. That's why the psalmist says, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Lift up your voices, family, in honoring your God and bragging about him. That's where genuine worship is found. It is truth treasuring. It is voice lifting, but it's also life giving. See, Romans 12, 1 tells us this. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, worship is treasuring God's truth, is lifting up our voice, but it's also living out a life of worship to God. We can, we can give God glory. We can worship him through our actions, whether it's through our giving, whether it's through using our gifts, whether it's through loving one another. If it's focused on God and his glory, it is an act of worship. 
This is where genuine worship is. God warns his people, do not go after other gods. Family, you and I need to search our hearts, say, God, what has my heart gone after? What has pulled me away from your truth? God, what has distracted me from lifting up my voice or presenting my life as a living sacrifice? If you find yourself straying away from God or losing passion in your worship, God's got a name for that. It is El Kana, the jealous God. And as the jealous God, he is justified in his jealousy because he's worthy of his worship. He wants us to not go after the bait of self on the trap of idolatry. When we live for ourselves and we make ourselves our God, you're going to quickly find out you make a pretty miserable God, by the way. And so, family, let's keep his name honored. And let's let our lives be devoted to him because he is a jealous God. As we started out this message, we also saw that he's a merciful God. You see, his people had just gone into idolatry, and God says, I'm not done with you. If you're here today and you know that you've drifted away from your God, maybe you haven't fashioned a golden calf, but you've fashioned your life around things that revolve other than around Jesus, God's invitation to you today is to turn away, to uproot, unplug those things and go to Jesus, who should be the object of all our worship. In a moment, we're going to close with a final song, and I'm going to have our prayer team come forward. Family, if God is exposing in your hearts ways in which you've drifted, ways in which you've provoked God to jealousy, would you make your way forward during this last song? Talk to a brother or sister and let them pray with you. Maybe come forward to the altar and say, Lord, I don't want you to have some of me anymore. I want you to have all of me. I don't want you at the peripheral, God. I need you at the focal point of my life because he's worthy of it, family. He's worthy of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are El Kana, the jealous God. Name is Jealous. And Lord, you don't want our hearts to drift away from you, Lord. As your word said, to whore after other gods. To compromise the covenant we have with you through faith in Jesus. So Lord, I pray that you would work in every heart in this room, Lord. Purge us of ourself, Lord. Purge us of our narcissistic ways, God, when we're guilty of it. Purge us of, of living for the approval for, of other people. Of straying away, God, bring us back to you. Lord, I lift up that youth, that man, that woman who just feels you, Lord, pressing on their heart, calling them to, to come to you. God, I pray that they would not resist you, they would not push you away, but they say, Lord, I don't care what other people think. I'm not living for them, I'm living for you. And they may, may they respond, Lord with courage, chasing after you, God. Father, let nothing hold us back.
in our worship of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's rise to our feet, family, and sing this final song. Prayer team, please make yourself available as people respond in prayer.